The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. That's how I operate. But usually we make eye, count, eye, eye contact. Yeah, and we hold it for a beat. <laughs> and there's that question of, do we love each other? And mm-hmm. then we... Yeah, just yeah, air horn it. Just out of it. Mm-hmm. All right, very nice. Hi. Hi, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, very excited about today. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun today. I think we have a very special guest. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yes. How special is he? Well... <laughs> um, it, to I, you. I know we promised Lou Ferrigno, uh-huh. but we've gone one better. One better. One better. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're going to have on the legend, the godfather of podcast, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mr. Adam Carolla is going to be with us today. Yay! And so before we bring him on, is there anything we need to talk about or any housekeeping things? or Housekeeping? Yeah. <laughs> You, well, you know, that's the a generic term for any business, like old business. Oh, business. Yeah. Um, I, I don't Like think parliamentary so. procedure would say old business, new business. Why? I mean, usually this means that you have housekeeping, which means you want to tell me about some chief's transaction or a Kansas win. Not yet, uh, uh-huh. but, <laughs> but we will talk about that. Um, uh, you do yeah. know I went to spring training yes, last so did week. Yes, so uh, What? Yeah, I know. I was actually going to go to the Padres uh, Royals game, but I didn't know which squad Machado was going to be on, so I didn't go. Oh. So I ended up going to see the Diamondbacks and the Cubs. Because I've been waiting to talk about this, but then it's kind of funny how you came and just <laughs> steal my thunder. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's cool. That's so cool, anyway, too. I'm glad you had a good spring experience. Spring training so, covered. Tell us, about, <laughs> tell us about your spring training experience. Nah. Hmm? Well, we went to the talking stick fields because it's by the casino, and I'm a degenerate. Gambler, oh so I had to it's, go there after. <laughs> it's getting worse, isn't it? Yeah, it's getting worse. How much money are you going to put on uh, March Madness? Um, oh, I've only put like 150 so far, but that's just in uh, in the. Uh, that's just brackets. 150 dollars, not 150 k. <laughs> yes, Rob. All right, I don't know how degenerate you are. No, 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 no. I don't have uh, 150 k lying around to put on Wofford and you know. <laughs> Bryn Mawr, whoever's <laughs> the favorites this year. It's always those first it's round upsets. The same that's where the, that's where the smart money is. Um, um, yeah. Other right. than that, I mean, I just have shows coming up with Dolph Ziggler oh, for the yeah. next couple of weeks. So you've been out touring with Dolph. Tell us about that. Yeah, is that's it going been well? great. Yeah, I mean, uh, the fans are coming out, and yeah. it's a whole new kind of fan that I never seen before. The wrestling fans are completely oh, different, yeah. and they uh, and I we do a Q and A at the end, and I kind of control the Q and A. So. I can't tell you how many questions are. Take your shirt off, and they're talking to him, not me. Uh, are they all has, big wrestling, like big wrestling dudes themselves? They look like those no, uh, those Minnesota no. those Minnesota Nordic type guys that have like short blonde hair and red skin, and they're 
yeah. always mad. Looks like they're about to fight all the time. No, no? they don't look like wrestlers. Oh, good. Because that's what I experienced. <laughs> like Those, that's my crowd. <laughs> Just a, a strung out, high intensity crowd. Yeah. Who, you know, looks like they're ready. For oh, they're violence. intense, but they're great. They've always they've all been extremely nice and kind and. Uh, and the shows have been amazing so far. And the meet and greets have been incredible. So well, that's, cool. that's always the fun part. Yeah. Well, good. Well, tell everybody where you're going to be. Um, so next week will be Boston, Mohegan Sun, Baltimore, then um, Virgin- Richmond, Virginia, and then Virginia Beach. All right. Yes. Very cool. All next week. Fun. Well, should we introduce our guest? If you want to. All right. Hey, Adam Carolla. It's great to be back in my own studio. <laughs> <laughs> uh, by the way, we are recording uh, in Adam's studio because he was yeah. gracious enough to allow us to do this. So thank you, by the way, for doing that. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, and we are uh, grateful to be here. There's, this is really nice. I know, compared it's so to our- nice to have air conditioning <laughs> yeah. and like Gary's Seats. wearing a shirt for some reason, which he never does. To so us. he never does. Uh, yeah. And that is fun to see him in a shirt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and the seats are nice. The microphones are nice. This, I just <laughs> don't want to leave. This is, yeah, I kind of want to stay for a while. Yeah. Um, Adam, uh, well, why we got you here? I got, we got to talk about this. Just last week, your new stand-up special dropped, yeah, didn't it? Taco Bell material. To use the uh, the vernacular of the yeah, street, it I dropped. Know. Yeah, I hate You're when so I get hip. sucked into using cool <laughs> young people lingo verbiage. verbiage. But yeah, it dropped. Um, yeah, I've not. I've, my first stand-up special. It, it was weird doing. It's weird a to think that special. this is your first. Is it really? Well, I, yeah, because I had this. I you know, there's a psychological sort of roadblock I have because of where I come from, mm-hmm. and I've come from this insane sort of downtrodden society of Corollas who don't value anything, and so I think. What was standing in the way of me and a stand-up special is it has the word special in it. And like I'm a Corolla and we don't do things that are special. (laughs) We might have special needs like a learning disorder or something, but we don't do special positive. We do special Special exception. Right. Not special positive. (laughs) Yeah. So there was something psychological. And also I started out as – like stand up, like open mics, like waiting in line, like writing dumb jokes, like just sort of dumb early 20s, whatever. And then I got out of that and I got into uh, the Groundlings and an Acme Theater and improvisational comedy. And then I got into Kimmel and radio and, and MTV and, and, you know, Comedy Central and blah, blah, blah. And it just sort of you know, stand-up was like something you'd try at the beginning and then you'd move on. And then if you got a paying gig, like if you got into syndicated radio or, or Comedy Central or whatever, then who would go back and do stand-up? Right. And so it was always like never really part of my lexicon. I was like, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm getting paid. And then in like 2009... Or so, 2010, 2011, like the wheels came off the wagon kind of financially. And I was out of a job and there was some – and this happens all the time where they kind of go like, would you like to sell tickets and come play this club or this theater or whatever? And you're like, well, I don't really have an act. Right. You know? And they're right. like, well, I get, I get that all the time. So, yeah. Steve O was in town last yeah. weekend. And you're like, well, he does kind of, he does now. Yeah. Like, he, right. wants, he wants to get paid. So I was like, okay. 
and I had the comedy chops to uh-huh. kind of do it, where I was like, "All right, I'll I'll just go, I'll kind of wing it, and I'll put an act together as we go, and I'll f- do some crowd work and and blah blah blah." And then I, I sort of blinked my eyes, and eight nine years had gone by of me playing theaters and, and doing stand up. But someone would go like, well, "You're stand up," and I go, "Oh no 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 no! I'm just you know Steve O <laughs> and then me and we're just doing it. You know, I'm just paying the bills." And and <laughs> at, a, at a certain point, I I just sort of went, "I think I am a stand up." Yeah. And then I went, "Well, if you're a stand up, then do a stand up special." And that's what I did. I'm glad you did because I, I got to tell you, I, uh, I had a conversation one time with uh, uh, Jimmy Kimmel, mm-hmm. and I found it to be fascinating. But I co- totally agreed with him. I think I was doing his show, and we were just shooting the shit backstage. But I, I remember we were talking about you because I think you and I were—I don't know—I uh, had just met you or something. But he goes, he goes, I got to tell you, he goes, the funniest guy I ever met was um, Adam Carolla, and he said, Adam can take anything, anything, <laughs> any topic, any object, anything at all, and he can crack wise about it and make conversation about it and have the most unbelievable logic attached to it, whether it's skewed or whatever, but it works. And it's always funny and it's always entertaining and you can listen to him infinitely. And I agreed with him at the time, I, and I still do. Um, <laughs> but there's only one other guy, Ian Roberts, uh, from the Upright Citizens Brigade, who was one of their founding members. He had that ability, too, to always be able to justify. And I think that's such a gift. I, oh, re- I mean, it's yeah. truly amazing. So I'm glad you're doing the stand-up. I, and, and this is a like, bona fide stand-up special. It's not me doing what I normally would do, which yeah. is like kind of winging it. Yeah. Um, but I, it's interesting about Ian, who I don't know. I wonder. So I'm, I'm trying to think of kind of the genesis of this stuff, like uh-huh. where where it comes from. Like I couldn't read as a young person. I didn't learn to read. I didn't learn to spell. And so, whereas a lot of people would kind of lose themselves in a novel, like they'd be re- reading Lord of the Rings, I'd be yapping because it was like in compensation for not getting lost into this this world of literature and also i couldn't spell or read so i was i was talking all the time and sort of explaining stuff rather than you know i was doing i was good at the oral stuff but not the written stuff and so i you wonder if this stuff is created in a in a void of other experiences mm-hmm. or it's some sort of natural something or it's a mixture of not yeah. walk not not being able to read and having to talk i mean i don't know enough about ian i think there's truth in all of that i yeah. think there's truth in all of that i also think it's a reflection too on your mind that you uh, you have a, a, a obviously you have a creative mind, but you have a mind that desires to understand. Uh, so you 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 search for the logic, and mm-hmm. and you do that by asking questions. You know that's that's all thinking is is asking and answering yes. questions. That's Critical what thinking, thinking. is. But it, it's so it's so interesting where you get dropped off in life or where you drop in to life because where I where I dropped into life was around. People, my family's super nonverbal, and my oh, friends wow. were just kind of meatheads. Like, you know those dudes? Like, I got a couple, yeah. You know, like you'd be going, what is the difference between a sofa and a couch? I, mean, I don't know. Shut up. I'll kick your ass. Like, give me another Strauss. And you, you start talking. Like, you, you're doing your kind of 
early kind of Seinfeld light esque observations, but if you do it in front of a bunch of meatheads, they just tell you to shut up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're not interested. Stroh's, by the way, uh, first uh, beer to have the 15 pack as opposed to just the 12 pack. <laughs> that's right. And that's I why we to, always want the always Stroh's. Stroh's. Yeah, I that's right. I think that stand up, like, because uh, I grew up in a family that, like, I, like in the South, so like nobody understands sarcasm, and I was just extremely sarcastic. So people would always be laughing at me, but they'd be like, that's not funny, that's not funny. So I just heard, that's not funny. So I never knew that I was a stand-up. But I also, because my parents are from Northern California, we moved to Georgia, and then I was called a Yankee like my whole life, which is like, I was like, California right. wasn't even in the war. And why am I right. calling it the war, you know? <laughs> right. like, but I think, you know, you uh, I fit into um, a lot of groups, but I wasn't. A part of them you know mm-hmm. like I kind of fit in everywhere so I felt like I was always just like on the outside watching so I was like I had lots of friends but I wasn't their best friend it's like you know like did that a, form your, how did that form your comedy I think what happens your... is you become a natural observer because you're sitting out of enough groups like uh and you're admiring or noticing so I always say that like I feel like as a comic we just get paid to notice things that most people don't notice so like if somebody's walking down the street with like a mohawk and like tattoos on their face and and earrings all over it like I'll notice that he's wearing sketchers like that (laughs) you know like that's just like where your mind goes like you just see the the absurd in like one tiny little thing and then you just exploit that absurdity I mean that's that ends up being what a roast is you just find one thing about that person and you just dig and dig and dig you know whether it be physical or mental you know whatever it is and I think but I think that's the beauty of stand-up is like there's no rules like you don't have to have you don't have to have started when you were 20 and like I never watched stand-up my whole life I didn't even know what it was when I started I'd never I'd seen it one time there's a there's a a thing where you give yourself I don't want to sound corny or Oprah-esque but you give yourself the permission Mm -hmm. to be a stand-up so I never gave myself the permission yeah. to be a stand-up. Mm-hmm. I was always like, "Oh no, no, no! I don't know that Sarah, Sarah Silverman's a stand-up. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a stand-up. I'm not a stand-up." Like I was, I was, I was kind of like arguing with people of why <laughs> what wasn't funny or couldn't do stand-up mm-hmm. or whatever it is, and I, I just never gave myself permission in a weird way as a sort of weird low self-esteem vestige from the past and even when i was doing stand-up and and, and i'd sell out theaters and do 95 minutes of stand-up and i'd I'd walk off stage go i'm not a stand-up that's not me and at some point i just sort of gave myself the permission to be that or to do that and it's it's kind of um liberating like i then i started like writing i once i gave myself permission to be a stand-up i started like writing jokes <laughs> yeah. and stuff yeah. going whereas the past i wouldn't write jokes because i was like oh you're not a stand-up what are you doing right non-committal you were non-committal to it probably it was it was mm-hmm. like a kind of a combo it was sort of a thing of like saying oh you're 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 athletically gifted so you don't have to practice that much and you can still go out and compete but you're not going to be the best player in the league but you can still make the team like there was this sort of a and then not picking a, a sport to major in. and and Do you think there's a psychology to it, though? Do you think there's a psychology to saying, oh, I'm not a stand-up, which then means, you know, uh, by not giving yourself that label, you can still go do it. And if you score and you win, great. But if you don't, oh, it's no big deal. I'm not a stand-up. I think there's always that element where you're trying to kind of lower the... Expectations? The expectations yeah. for yourself and, and sort of... I. I, I think there's always a kind of a managing of expectations, sure. and there's an element of that. 
there's another element of just when you come from where I come from, the notion of just like standing in front of a group of 500 people and holding a microphone and going, listen to me for the next 90 minutes seems <laughs> yeah. insane when I yeah. couldn't do it for four yeah. minutes at a dinner table. Like, how, how, <laughs> you know, like who would pay you to stand there? And, you know, so there's a big like psychological aspect of it. But once I started owning it just just recently, it's it's kind of liberating. It's yeah. like it's liberating just to go. You're stand up. Why not be a stand up? Why couldn't you be a stand up and and start focusing? On right. it? I remember. I, I think, yeah. I wanted to be a, in comedy. That mm-hmm. was my bottom line. I wanted to be a comedian in the sense of uh, comedic acting and you know and and, and stand up because I watched you know Delirious had such an impact on me mm-hmm. when I was a kid. But um, I the first thing I did, the first thing I ever did, I took a stand up class on the Upper East Side uh, at the comic strip. And it sucked. I hated it. It was three jokes per minute. It was taught by this guy who didn't appreciate storytelling at all. He just wanted three jokes per minute. So I kind of shoehorned myself into it and I did the five minute set and I didn't invite anybody like I was supposed to, but I just, I I hated it. I hated it. And I thought I made a huge mistake because I didn't know what to do. So then I found long form improv at the Upright Citizens Brigade. And that was more of that fit me. That fit what I was trying to do. So then I spent the next seven years doing that. And it wasn't until I was on The Daily Show and John Oliver and I shared an office. Now, he's an outstanding stand-up comedian, right. and he <clears throat> made me go with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, I don't – I hate it. I don't want to do it. And he was just like, you know, you do it your way. You know, tell me a story. Tell me a five-minute story. You got, mm-hmm. I know you got one funny story. So I was like, yeah, I got one. And so we went, and I, we hit like four spaces that night. We went to like the piano room, the slipper room, the UCB, some other place. And we did, you know, five mics that night. And by the time I told it the first time to the time I told it the last time, that one night, I had honed that five minutes. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, I was like, I got five minutes. <laughs> so my, then I was like, okay, well, I can put some more stories together. Yeah. My New Year's resolution um, for this year was I'm going to go out once a week and I'm going to the ice house and I'm doing 20 minutes of stand up like every single week, which sounds like nothing to regular comedians who work out. But to me, it was like, if you want to pay me, I'll get on a plane and I'll come to your theater and I'll do my set or do a set or something. And then I'll go home, but I'm not going to go out for free. I'm not going to work out. I'm not going to whatever. And I, and also it's like, I thought, well, I can't go to the ice house the next week and tell half the same jokes. You're going to bore everybody or they're going to be the same crowd. And I, I realized just through that experience, it's so much better and I've gotten so much better, but I've kind of given myself the permission to go out and work out. And so I identify completely with what you're saying. I've never in the past gone and worked on one joke and done it, you know, three weeks in a row and (laughs) seen how much better the joke gets by doing. And I guess we should know because any comedian you hear speak about the subject of doing stand-up comedy just talks about working out and getting up and going from one venue to the next venue. And and I would always hear what those guys did in New York and, and in L.A. as well, but like in New York and we go to catch and then we go to Caroline's or whatever. And, yeah. and same night, and I just go, well, OK, yeah. it's like talking about <laughs> it's like people talking about the eagle comes down and it snatches the salmon out of the river. And I'd be like, oh, there you go. That's, That's what an eagle does. <laughs> well, not, I ain't no, you ain't no eagle. Yeah. <laughs> like I would just hear about other people doing it. I go, That's yeah. what you do. And then I realize, oh, you can I can do that. Yeah, Yeah. I think it takes a long – because, like, I've been on the road with Dolph Ziggler, who's a WWE wrestler, and he 
didn't want to be a headliner for so long because he, like you, has so much respect for the art. So just saying, like, I'm a stand-up felt like this odd thing for him because even uh, even though he was super funny and did it his whole life, but, like, ref- so, I like, the biggest thing I had to tell him was, like, you have to be okay with doing the same material night after night after night after night, you know, at least the same, one of the same jokes, because even if you add one word, it changes, it can change the whole bit. You add one arm movement, you, you take this part out, you're just cutting and cutting and cutting and trimming the fat, trimming the fat, taking a word out, adding a word. And it's like, we only have, we can't practice in front of anybody but a live audience. There's right. no, uh, there's, there's no other art form like that. So you ha- like, you have to have a, ca- a captive audience and be okay because you've heard it before, but maybe they haven't, or you think they have but it's kind of like i try to compare it to like going to see your favorite musician in concert like if you go to see journey and they don't play it any way you want it you're like what the fuck what was <laughs> right. this ticket for you yeah, know right. so it's like sometimes people want to play that you to play the hits because they've told their friend oh he has this great bit about this and then you don't do it or, I think gaffigan, you know, there's always gaffigan gets that a lot with hot pockets oh yeah they yell it at him that's I, the I, difference I, yeah that when somebody has like a, a catalog of stuff like yeah. that, it's, you know, when when somebody's prolific like Gaffigan, I yeah. think. But I always feel like for people like you, Adam, it must be so much harder to go in when people know who you are. Like I had the luxury of starting stand up when nobody knew who I was. So if I fail, like nobody know, nobody cares or knows or, you know. And when you when I felt like I had low expectations, the audience had low expectations for me, so I could only go up. Right. It's, it's the same as like when people look funny. Like mm-hmm. I had friends who were funny looking and people were already laughing when they would walk up. Yeah, I you know, it's it's on one hand they know who you are so they're there to see you so you have that advantage. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we all dread the, you know, tweet you read the next day like yeah. saw Corolla at the theater like funny guy, love the man show, but this ain't, you know, stay in your lane right. yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, always haters. I've always, I've, I've really not gotten any of that. And I've, 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 but because my thing is, is like, I'm going to burn so many calories not to see that tweet the next day. Like I cannot (laughs) have people going, "Eh, you know, it was a five or, or whatever it was. Like I, I, I'm not going to let that, let that happen. But it, the, the thing about stand up and and I come from the improvisational background too. So I, the biggest hump to get over is the repetition mm-hmm. it, in, yeah. in our world. It feels like cheating. <laughs> if you say the same thing yes, twice. Totally. Yes. And totally. So yes. now it's, it's weird that most, a lot of comedians just don't care. They'll use other people's jokes. They'll <laughs> yes. use vaudevillian jokes. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've seen people like do material where I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. That's someone else's whatever. Mm-hmm. Or or sometimes when I just see a comedian who's a fat comedian and every joke is about being fat or every joke's about their ethnicity, I want to go, what are you doing? You're cheating. You can't do that. Tell <laughs> jokes. You got to be funny. You can't just be all about your heritage or gay yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. you are. Yeah. It can't all be about it. It's cheating. Right. And so I always felt... I, and, and it was self-imposed. Like it's like you have yeah. you have you are basically running a slaughterhouse. You've decided that you're a kosher slaughterhouse, but you're not kosher, and you've made all these crazy rules about how you got to <laughs> slaughter the cow. But nobody, you have people outside just wanting a hot dog and yeah. a steak, and you're like, no, no, I got to bleed the. I need, I need a rabbi. I got to hang the, <laughs> the cow upside down and let it bleed out. It's got to be blessed by moil. And it's like, no, why are you? 
Why are you imposing all these things? Yeah. I, the other comedians don't do that. They just tell the same jokes over and over. They work the material. Mm-hmm. They they get ideas from other people. Like why 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 are you putting on your jeweler's loop and looking? I sorry to go all Jewish, but but, <laughs> no, but the, see, a, becomes why, a comedian why, why, why immediately starts. Yeah, why are we being so, why are we scrutinizing? Yeah. so so closely. Yeah. So not Taco Bell material. Yes. That's in reference to one of your first books, right? Or your second book? Yeah, my second book. Your second book. Right. Um, uh, and, and that's why you decided to name this special? That's what Mike August decided to name it, <laughs> to be honest. Like, I was just going out doing stand-up, and he's yeah. like, we should make it. You know, we got to give it a name, and people love the book. And it's kind of, it's a stand-up, one-man show, kind of autobiographical, and not Taco Bell material sort of covers all that yeah. that in my life. So, Well, you have great books, too, by the way. You have a lot of great books. Um, which 50, I in never, 50 years, we'll all be chicks. is a very funny. Never written in a million, like, where I come from, too, is like, you're not allowed to write a book. But <laughs> the, allowed to write a book. Well, it's just like, why would you write a book? Right. Who would pay you to Hello? write a book? You can yeah. barely read. Is it, because, why, is it like a Philadelphia thing? It's like, if you write a book, you think you're better than me. <laughs> yeah. It was like books were written by people that did well in school and like went to college and had things that people would want to hear. And, and like we didn't nobody fell into any of those mm-hmm. categories. And so like I was it was OK to go to a construction site and pick up garbage, but it wouldn't be OK to write a book yeah. like that would be way out of your your lane. And then also like I think it'd be like, well, why would someone buy your book? Like yeah. I don't get it. Who would buy the book? Feeling. Like what would they do with the book once they got the book? Or why would they even buy it in the first place? And it was it was like it would have been confusing. To hold up a futon like the rest of us. Yeah, it would have been a confusing discussion for my family. So I would have never written a book, but a book, you know, Crown or Random House or whatever, they they came to me and said, "We'll pay it." Three hundred fifty thousand bucks to write a book, and I was like, "All right, all right, I'll write a book." I was like, I'm writing a book. I'll write a book, and then it went to the New York Times bestseller list, and then they came back and went, "We'll give you more money to write a book," and I was like, "Okay, I'll write a book," but I would have never. Mm-hmm. Thought to write, I would never want. I'm going to write a book because that would have been insane. <laughs> yeah, but that's earned. You earned that. You earned them coming to you and asking you to write a book. Yeah, and I'm I I I it, and it's interesting because I've always thought like everyone should have that experience. Like nobody nobody would sit down and write like an autobiographical account of their life. Mm-hmm. I mean, funny, but mm-hmm. uh, my my first book was just uh, called In 50 Years We'll All Be Chicks. And I wrote it 10 years ago and it, all the stuff's happened already. Like I said, in 50 uh, it's, years. It's unbelievable. No, it's yeah. Yeah. It, it, the, the timeline got punched up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was like me kind of smelling which way the wind was blowing in like 09 and going, I think this is where we're heading. Is it? And I, so... The next book was not Taco Bell material, which is sort of my life and stories and work and struggles and, and everything else. And I would have never sat down and written that book, obviously, if someone didn't pay me and give you a deadline and yeah. you got a hand in a rough copy at this date or that date and everything else. So it's kind of a in, – in a way, I always think philosophically, since the lion's share of people aren't going to get um, – they're not going to get a paycheck to write a book about themselves, whatever you do for a living. 
everyone should like carve out a little time and write a few pages once a week about their thing. Like like write an autobiographical story. R- write your story down just for the grandkids or or the whatever. I was lucky enough that I was forced to do it, but I, and it would be, be like getting in tremendous shape because you're going to film a superhero movie. Like you would have never done it yourself, but the, the studio hired you <laughs> they, a trainer yeah, yeah. and they got yeah. you a gym and they made, you know, gave yeah. you a deadline and they started paying you and whatever. And it'd be like, so just pretend, just do it without the studio is what I'm saying. Absolutely. And, and not Taco Bell material, your new special, you, you can find it on chassis.com. Yes, two S's right? and a Y. Yeah, chassis, C-H-A-S-S-Y.com. I think that's also just the, the burden and the, it's the blessing and the curse of being an artist and someone who's creative where you just like, you 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 don't want to re- resign to the fact that you are talented or you are going to be good at stand-up because, because you have respect for it. So there's so many people out there that are go, I'm a stand-up, and you're like, are you? <laughs> I really? Had- I had I had a crazy. Well, there's only one way to find out. He tells out. funny stories yeah. at parties. I had a crazy story early regarding that sort of weird low self esteem and and stand up, and, it, and it's also it's kind of it's kind of coincidental and a little nuts. But I was in Phoenix, I think, and I was playing a couple shows at a I don't know Phoenix Live or whatever. It's a big stand place, up stand up live. Mm-hmm. And they were sold out, and it was a good venue and everything. And I would do, I would go up there, and I'd do like, kind of like a PowerPoint presentation. Like I had a big slideshow, and I'd go, this is me in high school, or this is that, or what about this? And then I, I the slide would like come up, and then I'd do a, a bit about it. And I'd do five minutes of stand-up about this picture, but I, I the picture felt to me like like it was training wheels, like, like I needed it mm-hmm. somehow. And I was sitting in my hotel room, and I was getting ready to go to the theater, going to the venue, and Sarah Silverman called, and she said, hey, I want you to play, uh, I think it was Todd Glass's benefit. Could you do a benefit for comedian Todd Glass? And I said, yeah, I'm not friends with Todd Glass. I didn't really know him very well, but if you know if he needs a benefit, I'll, you know if I'm in town, I'll I'll do it. He now calls me a dick all the time because <laughs> I use the word retard on stage. So it's awesome. It's weird. It's weird to call a guy a dick who did your benefit who yeah. didn't know you. <laughs> you should right. probably focus on. Uh, yeah. There's probably other people that you could focus your attention on. But either way, he's a delight. So yeah. that's Todd. So. Now, I said to Sarah, like, all right, I'll do his benefit. And then she paused and she said, are you doing stand-up now? Because I told her I was in Phoenix and I was, like, doing a show or whatever. And I said, oh, no, no, not like you. Not not like regular stand-up. I'm, I'm up there with the you know slideshow and a projector and I'm not really – doing anything and she's like oh you're doing stand-up and i was like no 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 you do stand-up i'm up there kind of doing the adam carolla show but i'm not i'm not doing stand-up i have training wheels i have this slide projector and she's like okay and i had to keep going not not what you do not what you do for some stupid like low self-esteem thing and then she hung up the phone and then uh, had two shows. They're both sold out. Did the first show with the projector and the the, the the picture, the blah, blah, blah. And the next show with about 
it was about six, eight minutes before it was time to head out. Like the guy just came up to the dressing room. And he's like, uh, the bulb on the projector's gone. Yeah. And you got, we got nothing. And, and I was like, what are we going to do? And he's like, I don't know, but you got a 90 minute show to do. And I was like, I need my projector. Yeah, and he's that, like, that, I just told Sarah Silverman, I, that's what I do. You know, and yeah. he's like, I was like the bulb shot and. But the pictures are integral to your show. That, that's your it. Show. Yeah. And I was like, okay, give me that buck slip. And I, like, I started writing down like all the beats, like just, just all the beats of all that I'd remembered. Like, okay, then you're going to go into this bit. Then you do that bit. Mm-hmm. I just, I just wrote all the bits down and just crushed it. Just yeah. 90 minutes. I just crushed it. And then as soon as I was done, I walked off stage. And I was like, but you're not a comedian. So let's not have that happen. Again. <laughs> That's so silly. That's and you're literally at a place called Stand Up Live. Yeah. <laughs> and you refuse to call yourself a stand up. But yeah, it's funny. The guy who would run the projector went, well, I guess you don't need me anymore. Like yeah. literally that's how crushed it. It was, that's and then awesome. as soon as I was done, I was like, well, "All right, guys, let's think, get that bulb fixed." But right. I, I think, I, I honestly, right now, shows, uh, whatever kind of show, one man show, stand ups, whatever you want to call the show, uh, people are using more media. Yeah, you know, sure. Like uh, pictures are not taboo in a, in a stand up show. That's actually become quite mm-hmm. an interesting reference. I think the audience finds it very satisfying if you're telling a story. You know, they're trying to picture it, but then if you can put up a picture of that moment or that, mm-hmm. you know, you with the with the afro sticking I, out from I your helmet. It. I did it not Taco Bell material, and every single comment uh, I've read on iTunes is like, oh, we love the multimedia yeah. aspect of it. And I was like, you mean the training wheels? <laughs> and they're like, no, the multimedia part of it. Like, you call it a training. picture yeah. of what you're talking about. And no, I was like, no. You call think, it training wheels. I don't think it's training wheels. That's know, what you call it. Yeah, I know that some pe- I know some stand-ups will will think that that is a train. And I and I understand. Like I feel like as a comic you feel like, "Oh, I should be able to describe this to you without having to show you the picture. I should be able to read you the book and you understand well, it there without is, seeing a photo." I I go out in the special and I do like the first half hour or 25 minutes just plain mm-hmm. just to kind of go okay we don't need and then right. we go into the into the yeah. stuff so like Good. in my mind it's like i'm gonna do 25 minutes of non-visual anything mm-hmm. and then we'll get into the story Good. so to me i did kind of think about that and i went like I, I don't i don't want people saying he's relying on it yeah i think that's the beauty of stand-up is that there's no rules you know it's like i remember when i first started stand-up i always i I never wanted to be a stand-up that went uh hit it and like a song would come on and i would do a dance or something you know because i would see people doing that and then i and then i'd see it done well and i'd be like oh well i guess that's okay you can do that but i remember when i first started i i used to have this joke about the mason dixon line and how it was the only tattoo my dad would let me get like above my navel because like no boys from the north can invade the South. And I used to draw it on my stomach in Sharpie. Right. And then finally Bobby Lee was like, you don't have to, like, people will get it. They're smarter than you think, you know? So I think that, like, in your mind you go, oh, there's all these rules in stand-up, but there really aren't. I think that when you finally surrender to the fact that there there are no rules, you just have to make your own path and find out what works for you. And then when you're free, then all of a sudden your comedy gets so much better because you're finally being yourself and you don't, you're not thinking of like, oh, they're not going to like this. They're not going to like that. It's let like me, let me ask you a just question. commit. Let me ask a changes. question, though. When you revealed the Mason-Dixon line, <laughs> yes. right, 
Did it get a response? Did it get a laugh? Did it? Yes. Did it, did it pay off? Yes. Well, then, fuck but it. it also paid off when I didn't. It just okay. as well. So I mean, no, I'm not saying that. I, I'm not saying that that doesn't work. You know, yeah. I'm just saying that like uh, you you just have to figure out like yeah. what you think works doesn't always you don't always need and what you don't need sometimes you do need. You know, I mean. I think that that's the beauty of comedy is that there's no rules. Like you could do it with or without the projector. It might be more fun for the audience to see the photos. Yeah. You know, well, it's, it's interesting now that everyone has like this shorter ex- in, uh, uh, attention span and, and now that everyone's kind of staring at a screen all the time mm-hmm. and the evolution or sort of de-evolution of an audience who's like – coming to a theater for 90 minutes and not going to just going to see a guy in a sweater standing there like the whole time that maybe in a, in a sort of weird evolve kind of, it's like a sad evolve, but like my kids aren't going to be able to watch the kind of movies we watch when we were kids because they're like way too long and way too nothing's happening yeah. for the first 20 minutes and like what's yeah. going on nothing happening, nothing happening. And I don't know, if they could watch uh, Alien, like the first Alien, because like there, there's 40 minutes of really nothing going on <laughs> until everything was going on. But in a way, and, and it's also why the audience doesn't seem to react like they're like, oh, we like seeing the pictures of the stuff you're talking about because it just means a fuller sort mm-hmm. of experience to yeah. people who are used to looking at a crawl going along a TV with a split, you know, you're watching Fox or CNN or whatever, and they have five pundits up there, and they have this crawl going along the bottom and the logo on the right. Like, maybe that's just the new world order. Yeah. I enjoy multimedia. I do. No, me too. I I enjoy it. I enjoy, especially when, because I I, I used to go to a lot of one-man shows, which I guess differ from stand-up in a sense because there's more dramatic moments Mm -hmm. and, you know. Um, and then there's some stupid shit they do too. But mm-hmm. uh, I did enjoy, you know, someone would be telling their uh, a story about their life or whatever, and it would seem unreal or you'd have trouble believing it or whatever until they, all of a sudden they put the picture of their mugshot. And you're like, mm-hmm. holy shit, you did get arrested. Or, <laughs> you you know, know. Whatever. And then that stuff, all of a sudden it grounded it, and it made those sensational stories so real and awesome. That- In a way, a set is doing that. Like mm-hmm. if you just have a set behind you, like if you're doing right. a one-man show or late-night show or whatever, just the actual set mm-hmm. is like you could argue, well, what do we need that for? Why isn't he just in mm-hmm. front of a cyclorama or yeah. a piece of duvetine <laughs> hanging like, what's all the set? And it's like, well, that's the experience. That's, that's well, part of it. Well, we can on Saturday Night Live needs the thing over the shoulder. You yeah. know, you got to have right. a picture. Right, that's just, that's just like- sit-down, stand-up comedy yeah. mm-hmm. uh tell exactly. everybody what a, a du, duvel what is it you just said <laughs> cyclorama and a duvel. duvetine duvetine oh. what is a duvetine a duvel duvetine <laughs> well you've invented a new thing that goes on your bed it's yeah. under it's it's between the dust ruffle <laughs> and the duvet cover there's the duvel it's a thin <laughs> layer of taffeta that goes sure, sure. just in between the dust <laughs> ruffle. <laughs> it's also a Belgian you, beer. Duvel is a, Bel- you, is a Belgian you beer. You basically discovered the brunch of bedding. Like, you didn't know there was a meal in between lunch and breakfast? Oh, uh, Riggles invented mm-hmm. one. Trademark Rob Riggle. Um, cover it. Uh, cover it, Rob Duvetine is this material behind us, like, okay. when they're... I don't know, when you're like the curtains at a improv mm-hmm. theater or yeah. something, like when they want to keep the light out and kind of the sound in, they'll hang it. It's, it's sort of like tightened fabric. It doesn't Stretchy. have to be tightened. It's just like it's kind of a 
I don't know. Stuff right here, it's uh, like a sound curtain, maybe. Yeah, it's just like well, you don't you don't want it, you don't want the light bouncing off it. You don't want the sound going through it. Like it's like I don't know all the theaters. Duvetine. I did not know that word existed. Did no, you know? You, we know that you don't know that that word did exists. You, but like, did you, you don't know, have to Smarty? just go like, oh, I didn't know. Did you know, Smarty? Yeah, I know. It's extensively. I did not know. It's used extensively in the military. I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> they make the parachutes out of duvetine. <laughs> they make the dungarees. A lot of the Kevlar is covered in duvetine. You never heard wear your dress duvetines? <laughs> no, i got to be honest. <laughs> never? No, 23 years. I missed all of the duvetine. Matt, look up duvetine. Matt's in the other room. I, it, it must just be like velvety. Curtain-y, Matt just spilled whatever. all his wild turkey all over the front of him when you <laughs> when you scared team. him just now. <laughs> is there a bit from your special that you that like that or not from your special, but is there a bit that didn't make it that you couldn't make work or that you were trying to get to work or Oh yeah, I had I, I mean I had a lot of stuff to choose from. Matt, sorry. My do my did eight minutes on duvetine. Yes. <laughs> uh, so duvetine is a twill fabric with a velvet like nap on one side. It may be woven from cotton, wool, or in rare cases, mainly in the early twentieth century, silk. Duvetine is a matte finish and its high opacity makes it ideal for blocking light. Oh God, what's opacity? Oh, this no, is gonna go on. Go. This is never gonna end. <laughs> Opacity is like how invisible it is. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, By the way, if you're wondering who Matt is, uh, Matt and Gary had a Thunderdome to decide who was going to sit out there. And it looks like Matt won. Two men went out. Yeah. So welcome aboard, Matt. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Yeah. I had tons of material to kind of poke, to sort of sift through, I think, uh, when I was doing my special. So I was just kind of trying to figure out, like, what what I wanted to use and like what order I wanted to put it in. And I still wasn't working out. Like I still would just play. I lined up a few, like I was playing some theaters to, to try to work out coming into it, but just be like every three weeks. So I, I didn't really oh, properly wow. train for this, for this UFC fight called a, a stand-up <laughs> special. But yeah, I had, I had tons of stuff and I'm, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm, trying to think of i'd have to go like look at set lists so like what i would do is i kept circling back to the same cities like a year later and i just look at the set list from the last time i was there and then go oh we got to do something else because we're not journey that's that's well that's when i got out of stand-up is when uh a lot of these clubs started asking me back like Cobbs up in san francisco Mm -hmm. whatever just as, as an example i was like oh i'd love to come back because i had such a great experience but i can't come back with the same offering Right, like I, I have to build a whole new set before I can come back there, and that takes time, and so I'm out. <laughs> right, because I, once I ran my set aground, I was like, "Well, I've done, I've gone everywhere, and I've done a special. Yeah. I'm out. I, until I get a new set, I can't do this anymore." Yeah, uh, it's a weird thing, and then you start kind of getting into this thing where you're like. Well, we were at Cobbs, but now how far is Fresno from Cobbs? Do you think people are driving in from the city? Because I could do the same set because we're yeah. a few miles away. mile radius or something. Yeah, and then there's a kind of thing where you're like, well, I'll do some new stuff, but I'll my, my clothes are all keep the same, you know. I'll have, but the middle will be mm-hmm. different. Like there's a lot of a lot of that yeah. going on, and I, now I'm just going the pure. Screw the slide projector. I'm just going to work out new material and focus on Good for you. getting some, some laps. So Good is that you. what because you're doing I, now that the special's out? You're sorry, Rob. Yeah, I, 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 it really didn't coincide with the special. I just kind of went like, are you going to be at 
stand up and are you going to own it? Right. And and if you're going to own it, are you going to try? And if you're going to try, you're going to have to get out and work it out. And you're going to have to repeat yourself. And you're going to have to like come up with premises. And you're going you're not going to have a slideshow. You're just going to get up there and start telling personal stories and things of that nature. And then also like when you're doing a podcast, you say whatever you want about your immediate family, but they're going to hear it, or they might hear it, or better yet, some hero will make sure they hear it. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but I can get up there and complain about my kids or my wife or do whatever it, within the kind of confines of a more intimate whatever. And it's not for broadcast right. per se. So I started like working on like more relationship stuff and family stuff and, and things of that nature. Whereas like in the past, I was like, well, if it's going to be in a special or you're going to be saying it into the podcast world or on someone else's show or something, it's going to get back to... And then someone's going to get, I was going to say pissed, but more pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got two things because we're running out of time. I want to cover real quick. One, you and I, Adam, are going to be appearing uh, out in Pomona at the Fox Theater doing a little, uh, just doing a little what we're talking about, standing there cracking wise on uh, on, uh, March 22nd, Friday, this Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's going to, it's a little salute to the troops, which will be kind of fun. So I'm always grateful for you doing shows like that. I always know it means a lot to to the servicemen and women out there. It's always great to be on stage with Rob Riggle. Uh, (laughs) No, but you can feel it when you get on stage with him. Mm -hmm. He's got that, those chops. Energy. Well, uh, that and uh, the other thing I wanted to cover before you leave, because I know we're we're short on time, but okay, so I heard a great interview with you and I I, want to remember parts of it because I I desperately want to remember what you said. I guess you were in Palm Springs and some drunk came up and tried to fight you and and you were like trying to get him off, but then he, he threw some punches. Now, you're a boxer, so you actually knew how to defend yourself. And you you described in great detail how you knew he was going to throw his right before his left. And so just uh, I'm just curious, teach us real quick. How do you know where it's coming from? I was well, do you remember what I'm yes, talking about? I, I was walking around Palm Springs at like the oh God, I'm trying to cockatiel in or something. I had these weird inns and uh-huh. the good looking people to hang out by the by the pool and you know, spring break. And I was like 19 or 20 and just walking around trying to find a beer or something. And, and I walked into somebody's like somebody had a bungalow room. I mean, it was a regular, you know, room that they, they paid to stay in it, but the, like the door was open or something. I was like, people like go in, like you got a beer dude or whatever. And I like walked in to this person's room and there was nobody in there. Like the door was just like open, but there's nobody there. And then uh, I was just sitting in there, like looking around for the fifteenth stroke, you know. <laughs> and and the phone rang, and I did what everyone would do back in the day. Like the phone rang, you pick it up. Like if you were standing on the corner and a payphone rang, you'd be yeah. like, "Hold on, man!" And you're, you heard you're talking, you'd go like, "This is pretty important." You go, "Yeah, but the phone's ringing." It's probably a stranger, and you'd like go pick up the phone. Like you yeah. literally, and I just like pick up the phone. I was like, "Hello," and. uh and the dude on the other line was like, where's Sherry? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just here. You know, I'm just chillaxing. And she's like, get her, put her on the phone. And I'm like, I don't know who that is. And I don't even know whose room this is. I'm just chillaxing. I probably shouldn't have picked up the phone. You know where that Stroh's is? And she's like, he's like, hey, 
You put Sherry on the phone right now, and I'm going to come over there and kick your ass. And I was like, I'll be waiting. And he said, all right. And I just like hung up the phone. I said, okay. He hung up the phone. I had no idea this is how it started. Great. And I just sat there in this person's room. And then like eight minutes later, like bang, bang, bang on the door. The guy like comes in. He goes, you the dude to pick up the phone? And I was like, yes, I am. He's like, you're going to get your ass kicked right now. And I said, okay. And I said, okay. And he said, come outside. I was like, okay. And we walked out. Like to where the patio, like there's like a walkway, like a cement walkway. And I knew because I've been boxing for a long time, nobody uses their left. They always use, they they load up on that right. Mm -hmm. They never, it's their bad hand. They just don't, they don't use it at all. So you just kind of watch the backhand and the backhand comes wide and comes way around and takes a long time to get there. So I just did that. And he he threw he threw his big wide roundhouse and I just kind of slipped it and it just countered and just knocked him I didn't knock him out but I knocked him down and he went down and he was screwed up a little by it like he didn't like it and he like kind of popped up and and sort of stepped back and then his friend he was with us two guys I guess he, they thought he'd bring two guys and this two guys second guy came in did the exact same thing and he just popped him. And he just went down, and then they both got up. Because I'm, a, I remember very clearly, like I'm, I'm such a dick. I was like, "You guys better get some ice on that eye." And they both, the boat just got up and walked, walked away. away. Then they didn't say. I said, "You better get some ice on that. It's going to swell up." And they just, they scattered, skedaddled off. They didn't really run away. They didn't call me anything. They didn't do anything. They They're just, just done went, with it. Like, they got punched. They both got dropped like simultaneously, or one after the other. <laughs> and they both got up, and they both just kind of started walking back to their to the room, and that was it. What a dude so, way of handling things. So you 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 just knew instinctually that they're going to throw the right. They're going to throw know. the right. The but there wasn't any no like good. any indication like the way an elbow is held. The left, the, the most anyone will use that front, that bad hand for is to try to like swat a little. It's your hand, but uh-huh. the punch comes is, from the is, heavy. Is, comes yeah. from the, the heavy. Hand. People are right handed. Yeah. I used to tell See, people. That, think how calm you have to be in that situation. Because most people in that situation, their adrenaline, you can hear it in your ears. You know, yeah. the thumping. And so you're not thinking like that. Like, you have a very calm approach to, to trouble. It sounds I, like. I did. And I was always that way. And I always yeah. had a kind of low resting pulse. And I, it's funny. I haven't thought about this in many years. But so when I used to teach boxing, I'd say once in a while I'd get it was always fun I'd get some female student the guys knew but the females I'd go like what do you want to stand you want to stand orthodox you want to stand southpaw and they go I don't know and I'd go like what's your good hand like what's your strong hand and they go I don't know I write with my this hand but I don't know and I and you know what I always say to them I'd go if I stomped on your foot right now what hand. Yeah. Would you punch me with? And they go, oh, my right hand. And I go, okay, that's your stance. Yeah. Put what? your right hand back. Like, Tell me the hand you would smack me with if I punched, if I stomped on your foot right now. Yeah. And that's how I could figure it out. But most people, whatever their good hand is, that's the backhand. And the jab is is non-existent, not in that in that world. In that world. In the in street world. world, yeah. Yes. In the bungalow world. In the world. bungalow, <laughs> Palm Springs. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I didn't world. mean to be, if, I hope it wasn't a bad subject, but it's just, I remember hearing the story and I remember thinking because you were describing how you knew how to 
take this guy on. And I was mesmerized by it because uh, that's your fantasy. Well, no, no, because <laughs> you know boxing, and I, right. I I don't know it as well as you do. And so you, the way you talked about how you slipped it and were able to deal with that, I just was the, I found it very impressive. So. If you box, if you boxed a, a fair bit like I did back then, it's almost Im- it's sort of embarrassing how bad people throw punches like in the streets, like yeah. just how bad that golf swing is if you're used to playing <laughs> on swing, the tour. Sure, you know, sure. it's just like how sloppy. Like if, if you were a professional golfer and you just saw the duffer hitting a bucket, you'd be like, Jesus, embarrassing, dude. Like, what are you doing? Like, right? Like it's that. So yeah. that's sort of how I felt. But the real, the more interesting, insightful part of it is why I stayed in that person's room. (laughs) (laughs) Why? That guy's like, I'm coming there and I'm going to beat your ass. And I was like, I'll be here. Yeah. Yeah. Where did that guy come from? What room was he in? Was that his room? I have so many questions. My thing was like, he said he was coming to beat me up. I didn't know anything about him physically. Obviously, I wasn't size. I couldn't yeah. size him up. Other than I assumed he was fit. Yeah. You know, because he what, wouldn't be issuing challenges. He no. wouldn't be doing that yeah. over the phone and then showing up. Like if he shows up, he can fight. Like my my thing was like, if this guy shows up, he's probably able to fight a little bit yeah. because he wouldn't just do that if you didn't feel good about Confident. your physicality yeah. you know no he's never had his ass kicked like but, that's but listen to the rational not. listen that. to how rational the thought process in this like he's analyzing this guy wouldn't do it unless he felt confident da, da, mm-hmm. instead of saying maybe i should leave right. <laughs> i should have <laughs> left but i sort of felt like i committed to staying like once he got ready your guys, word i was like i'm gonna come over there and i'm gonna beat your ass and i was just like i'll be waiting for you <laughs> and I, then once i hung up the phone i was like oh, i can't let the guy down like <laughs> <laughs> a word to get uh, out that I'm a runner, you know. Like he didn't know who I was. Like he wouldn't have been able to. Get out. It was a weird thing where it's like I hung up the phone. And I was like, oh. it's like the one situation. Oh, what did you do? And then I was like, is he coming here? Like how? Where is he? Like how long is it going to take him to get here? Is he going to have something with him? He had another guy with him. He didn't say we're coming over to yeah. kick your ass. He said I'm coming over to kick your ass. Yeah. But they both showed up. I mean, oh you gosh. could have just escaped without him knowing anything. Just, no, no idea who you are, yeah. what you look like, what you're. You could have gone like, to the next room and got the strolls out of that room. Like yeah, no, there's. It would have been no way to identify me at all no. because he had no information other than me picking the phone up. But I felt some sort of weird <laughs> obligation, much like I felt. I had to tell Sarah Silverman I wasn't really right. doing stand-up. <laughs> I had to tell this guy, we'll be here waiting for you when Man, you show work. up. And I said, oh, that's the commitment I made. And I don't well, want him to waste a trip. <laughs> uh, well, God bless you, Adam Carolla, for yes. so many reasons. But uh, thank you for joining us uh, yes. on Wriggles Picks. Much appreciated. Yes, thank you so uh, much. My pleasure. Everybody, go out. Not Taco Bell material. Uh, Adam's new stand-up special. It's killer, and it's found on Chassis, C-H-A-S-S-Y dot com. You can get on iTunes and Amazon and those there you kinds go. of places. And you can get well. those mm-hmm. places as well. And also, uh, Adam and I will be in Pomona, Fox Theater, on the uh, 22nd of March. Come check it out. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, all right. Uh, we're going to take a break right now, and then we'll come back. But uh, thanks, Adam. Thanks, Thank guys. you, Adam. Thanks. <laughs> 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 
That was so cool. Why did you like that one? I so don't much? know. It was just your your face gets so intense sometimes when we are making eye contact, and can, I do get to see it. Can I tell you? I, I, right when I, you launched into it, and I had a burp in my chest. <laughs> And so I was panicking a little bit. There was a little panic in my eyes because I was like, I can't do it. A little unusual. By the way, I've had so many people at my shows who listen to our show. Yeah. A lot of house painters, uh, a lot of people who just listen to tons of podcasts. And well, thank you for listening. I'm like, man, thank you so much. And they're like, only complain is it's not long enough. And I go, really? Really? <laughs> I would have thought That's there'd be a whole list fair. of complaints. <laughs> All Rob Riggle related. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> hey. Hey. Why I ought to, you gals. You guys know there's other schools besides Kansas, right? Come, come yeah, no, nobody can... says anything like that. Huh. Everybody says all nice things. And then they ask me how you really are in person. And, and I go, huge deuce nozzle. Yeah. I am like, I'm being so nice to him all the time because and, I don't want to be. Yeah. And he doesn't deserve it. So what you're saying is the best acting you've ever done is yeah. on the podcast, which yeah. no one will ever see. No, yeah, I God. know. I can't say enough good things about you. Everybody uh, says nice things, which is nice. I just make a nice. fart noise when people ask. I oh, yeah, go, like that that's guy. That's your the, answer? Yeah. The that seems... Turd Award nominee. And they say that answers a lot of questions. <laughs> so people say, how is it working on the podcast? Do you have fun? And you make a fart noise. <laughs> And they take that as an answer. They go, yeah. oh, I get it. They're like, that answers a lot, and now I have no more questions. Yeah. Wow. I'm, that's just, it doesn't seem like there's nearly enough information <laughs> in that, but I guess that's maybe not. there's too much information in she there. She and Adam Carolla have a completely different uh, <laughs> approach approach to problem solving. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Wow. I mean, I, you know, I hear that story about Adam, you know, getting in a fight, and he does, you know, that's the beautiful thing about if you fight long enough if you know you are he was yeah. a boxing instructor you know if you fight long enough you have a confidence like that where you're yeah. like oh well i don't want to do this but if you're going to fight you know i'll i'll be here okay yeah it's like, like i like uh, you know um i think for most people adrenaline takes over mm -hmm. and they they either spaz out or they they forget where they are or they lose their mind or they go too overboard or they flee Mm -hmm. You know, which is probably the smartest thing you can do in most combative, combative situations. Just get the hell out of there. Because mm -hmm. usually nothing good comes from that. You know, most people don't get knocked down, get up and walk away. It usually gets I a lot of I wonder if he's like that free solo guy, like just no fear. Like he just doesn't have that. That connection? That connection in the brain where it's know. like, you know, like serial killers don't have that one part. And like I don't Adam think, Carolla doesn't have that part that makes him afraid I don't of think things. They'll, yeah, I don't think he will allow anybody to scan his brain. For fear of finding out too much. <laughs> would you get a brain scan to find out what you're missing? Man, I don't know if I would do that. I'd be afraid yes. to find out. I think I would, honestly. Oh, you would? Yes. Only because, you know, that, that's how you can improve. Oh, man. You're such a good person. I would just use it as a victim status if I found out what I was oh, missing. God. No more victim status. <laughs> I think I did get a head scan because my dog kept sniffing my ear, and I was like, I have a brain tumor. I must have a brain tumor. <laughs> There's no way I don't have a brain tumor. That's so interesting. I wouldn't even think of that. But now that I, when yes. you say that, I'm like, hey, that's not a bad, that's, not a, that's probably a good indicator. <laughs> that's how Shannon Doherty found out I she mean, had breast cancer. Her dog kept smelling her boob. Really? Yes. Oh my God. And so I was like, I must have, I must have, I, it explains so much because yeah. I like have headaches all the time and I forget things and, you know, I like completely like bl lose memory. So they, they tried to find all this, they did all this Test, you know? oh, that's like man. two my friends who get pregnant their dogs usually know before they know because they'll get really protective over them what yeah and like growl if anyone gets near them like i've had two friends tell me that that when they're pregnant 
Mm-hmm. Their dogs will get super protective and like Whoa. lay near them and stuff. And then they're like, what the oh, heck? Oh, cool. So instead of buying pregnancy tests in the future, I'll just wait to see if Maverick really starts do it. getting, getting mad. mad at other you people. You guys, yeah. get a good pregnancy dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be the new vest <laughs> that dogs wear at the airport. It's my pregnancy dog. It's my emotional support pregnancy dog. It's my emotional dog. pregnancy dog. Uh, you guys, for real, it needs to sit with me. Guys, just in case. Yeah. I never know when I'm going to get pregnant, so I have to be have him around. Makes um, sense. Chan, we're almost out of time. Yeah. Uh, we, had, we had the lovely Adam Carolla, which was great. Mm-hmm. I, I, he is, beautiful. He lovely. is a self-made man, and it's fun to, uh, yeah. to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. What do we got in the viewer world? What's the uh, viewer, listener world? We got some questions. Um, <laughs> DC November said, Rob, we've seen you in a bunch of great roles in a lot of movies. Your words, not mine, DC. Yeah. When will we Definitely see Sarah? Definitely I didn't write this. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. Oh, good question. Screen. On the silver screen, I guess, when Rob gives me a job, when he like lets me take over for his part. Uh, I know, right? He's like, no. Um, I, I think... We might be able to find you something <laughs> in uh, Ski Master's second season. Oh, yeah? Is that happening? Well, it should be. <laughs> and Sarah's also in Wriggles Picks. Yeah. yeah. You've, seen her in Sarah, you've seen her I in shot, Wriggles Picks. I shot a movie this last year for... Um, uh, say adult feature. Say adult feature. Yeah, yeah, no. It was. It's. It's. It's for like Steve Byrne uh, wrote the movie, movie, and Vince Vaughn and um, uh, produced it. So oh, we'll good. see if I'm in. If that comes out, I don't know. Congratulations! If that's be in theaters, but yeah, it definitely comes out. I don't know what where it's coming out. That's exciting. awesome. They didn't tell you me that part. Uh, you just you're hired gun. <laughs> go and do the work. You're yeah. out. I, I'm. I'm more of a movie writer than I am anything else. So I've written. I'm. Just uh, I'm writing two features right now. Fantastic. So I wrote a couple last year. So good. Yeah. So well, I'm, I'm excited to see that. I hope it does come out. Thank you. What else you got there, Chan? Um, Rude Bay said, "What can we do to change the sensitivity of this world? With the world being so sensitive, will comedians one day be extinct?" First of all, your name's Rude Bay, so yeah. I know where you stand. But <laughs> I love it. Um, what do you think, Rob? I think the comedian's job is getting harder. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're going to go extinct because people need laughter and people will rebel. People will eventually – by the way, this is all going to be – the pendulum swung too far out. Mm-hmm. So eventually people are going to grow weary of walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. And it's actually going to unfortunately swing back out the other way, mm-hmm. which then you know has, an, uh, you know, has its ugliness. I so, would say, yeah, some of it has swung the other way. That's why you know, I feel like – I, honestly, like I feel like that's a big part of why Donald Trump got elected because he is actually someone who says whatever he wants without any repercussion, and it's so freeing to most people. I think, I think a lot of people do yeah. find him to be his champion or yeah. their champion because yeah. he gets to say whatever he wants, yeah. and he doesn't have to. You know, nothing happens to him, and I no. think for a lot of Americans, they feel silenced. Yeah, and I know the feeling. Not even know. politically, just. Yeah. Just shooting the shit. I just noticed, too, just like some material that I've had for years and years and years. And like now it's like harder to tell that material because more people are worried. And I'm like, you're not really offended. You're just worried someone's going to think that you're not offended. And that is offensive. But I also think you do a really well job, Sarah, of like just pointing out like, do you see how ridiculous this is? Like I love when comics are like. I'm not being an asshole. I'm just pointing out how ridiculous all of you are. Mm-hmm. Right. And also, like, when I – especially, like, when, 
uh, when it comes to like race and stuff like that. Like I like making fun of stereotypes and I think they're funny because they're not facts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Stereotypes are funny because they're not facts. Now they are based on facts, but they're not facts. And when I'm like, when you're not laughing, what you're saying is that's a fact and that's not fair. And you're like, and I'm like, wait, but I'm not the, you're that's bad. Yeah. What you just did, right? Like saying, they like, well, that's you, true. They accuse you of what they accuse you you of what they're guilty of. Yes, and it's the most infuriating <laughs> thing. And also, by the way, when it comes to comedy, you don't have to buy that ticket. Right. You can walk on down the street to your favorite whatever style comedian or actor mm-hmm. or whatever, and you can buy that ticket. Yeah. That's what free market is about. So if you don't like. Mm-hmm. My product, you just walk on by it. Yeah, you walk just on by. Walk on by it. It's not a problem. I won't take offense because nope. listen, if I'm making a product that nobody wants, I won't be around. I won't be in business very long. Yeah. But if people are buying it, guess yeah. what? I got a product people want to hear. So right. I'll, I'll do it for them. And, and and but that's what I think. That's what we have to stick to. But yes. what happens is people walk by and they don't like what you're selling. So rather than walk on by, they stop to. <laughs> shut you down mm-hmm. and that's the problem yeah. because that is closing down free speech that's closing down free thought that's mm-hmm. closing down all those things i'm like stop yelling at me i'm on your side yeah i don't need you yelling i don't need people who i agree with to yell at me because that just makes me like more combative and more likely to say it way more like when people don't laugh at a at a joke then i'm like well now i'm gonna say eight more mm-hmm that oh, that's the comedian's I way. Have to, oh, you hated that one? Then oh, you're you going to hate these next oh, five. Then you're going to hate these. And I wasn't planning on telling real. these next five, but now I'm going to because, because you pissed me off yeah. with your bullshit attitude. Yeah, with your uptight yeah. quality, like snowflake attitude. And I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like a lot of this happened when, like, in the '90s when the PC movement started, sure. and then it finally petered out. And I think you're right; it is going to peter out. But right now, it is just infuriating. Yeah, well, there's, he was asking uh, the uh, DC Rude. I don't even know that's, that was Rude, Rude, but Rude Baker. He was asking, uh, "Is there a way to desensitize?" And yeah, I think what you do is uh, everybody has to have a universal because mm-hmm. a lot of people like communism now. A universal screensaver of uh, someone taking a shit on a glass coffee table, <laughs> yeah, and then lighting that on fire, that turd on fire. Mm-hmm. And watching it burn. Mm-hmm. And that's, but if we, if we all have that, right, and we just watch that every day, I think we'll all kind of desensitize a little bit. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. It's just one idea. I got a bunch. <laughs> You're so full of I good got, ideas. I, so, I got chock full of them. So but that's my, that, that's my first offer. I got more. <laughs> Whatever. No big deal. No big whoop. Copyright, Robert. Go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> more, a segment one of more. Rob's good ideas. Mm-hmm. One more question. Um, Maddie Iceberg said, who would you say was the best running back from Georgia? Sony Michael. Michelle. Or Michelle, sorry. Mm-hmm. Nick Chubb or Todd Gurley? Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley. Todd sure. Gurley, hands yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. Chubb has got one of the great names of all time. <laughs> and Michelle won a Super Bowl. <laughs> and Michelle won a Super Bowl. So they're all winners. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, in individual contests, it's got to be Gurley, right? Well, Gurley, just because of his size and dominant, like he has the same qualities uh, that Chubb and Michelle have, but he's twice as big. So I think, <coughs> you know, just on stats alone, and Gurley scored me like 80,000 points in yeah. fantasy. His performance speaks volumes, too. Yeah, I yeah. think he's one of the. I'm worried that that arthritis is going to affect him, but I'm, I'm hoping that doesn't affect him too much. They found out he has arthritis in his hip. Oh, no. Yeah, I think that's why he was sitting out. Well, so listen, much. gut it out throughout your 20s, 
And then yeah. when you turn and you get your mid thirties, deal with it. Calvin Johnson, <laughs> retire early. There you go. You know, get paid, retire early. There you go. Love it. Uh, hey, well, thanks for uh, listening to Riggles Picks. I'm Rob Riggle. I'm Sarah Tiana. With uh, uh, Chandler and uh, Matt. Matt. Because he whipped Gary's ass. Way to go, Matt. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Deaths in Afghanistan. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. U.S. forces say three American service members and a U.S. contractor were killed in a roadside bombing near Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. Court documents show actress Felicity Huffman has agreed to plead guilty in the college admissions cheating scandal. She's accused of paying $15,000 to have a proctor boost her older daughter's SAT score. More changes at the Department of Homeland Security. A day after Secretary Kirsten Nielsen announced her resignation, the White House says Secret Service Chief Tex Alice will be leaving shortly. Three officials say the departures are unrelated, with Alice's moves stemming from a personality conflict within the agency. That's AP Sagar Magani. A bond hearing has been adjourned until next week for a woman from China arrested at President Trump's Mar-a-Lago Club in Florida. A federal prosecutor says she had a device to detect human, hidden cameras in her hotel room when Secret Service agents searched it. She also had nine USB drives and five cards. I'm Ed Donahue.